the speaker for graduation to give the graduation keynote speech. It's Pastor Emmanuel Beck. He comes to us from the United States of America where he has been serving with a ministry called Amazing Facts, you may have heard of, for the last eight years as a full-time evangelist, full-time gospel evangelist. He has a lot of experience in evangelism. He blessed us this morning here in the Preston Church with a powerful message, and he will speak to us now at this time. Good evening to the Peace graduates of 2012. Good evening to the friends and family that have also come to be here with them. The title of my message tonight is a question that I pose to each and every graduate and also to each and every one that is here tonight. The title of my message is a question, a rather strange question. But it is the question, what do you want? What do you want? What do you really want? Scripture records a truth that I want to share with you tonight that is so astounding, that is so broad, that is so amazing that there will be some tonight that will even doubt the veracity of what I am saying. But nonetheless, it's there in Scripture. But this truth is illustrated all through the Bible. There are two women in the Bible that were offered by the king this request, or I should say this offer, they were offered to ask for anything that they wanted, even up to half of the kingdom, and they would receive it. You can read about this in the book of Esther as well as in the Gospel of Mark. Two women were asked by a king a king who offered them anything that they wanted, even up to half of the king's kingdom. And no matter what they would ask, the king promised that he would grant it to them. Graduates, my question to you tonight, friends and family, the question tonight is what do you want? What do you really want? And the truth is, that you are going to get it. The two women, of course, are Esther, and the other one was Salome, the daughter of Herodias. Now, Esther, in this momentous opportunity, in this occasion where she could have asked for anything that she wanted, Esther asked for the life of her people. And she got it. Salome asked for the death of a prophet. And she got it. Now I know some of you might be thinking, well maybe this is just an isolated incident. 
I invite you to come with me to a seminal moment in the life of a young king. His name was Solomon. It's recorded in 1 Kings chapter 3. And if you'd like to turn there, we find this amazing moment in his life. 1 Kings chapter 3. And in verse 5, this is what we read. The Bible says, In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, Ask, what shall I give thee? Now friends, can you understand Can you understand the magnitude of this open-ended question that God asked Solomon? I want you to picture in your mind, if God came to you tonight, after all of the excitement has died down in the quietness of your room, if you heard God's voice saying to you, dear child, young man, young woman, sir, ma'am, what is it that you want from me? What What is it that you really want? Ask whatever it is, and I will give it. What would you ask for? You know, friends, all around us, even in God's book of nature, we see evidence of God's willingness to give us what it is that we want. Please, turn with me to Psalms 145. Psalm 145. And look with me at verse 16. Psalm 145, verse 16. And the Bible says, Thou openest thine hand and satisfiest the desire of every living thing. Friend, I want to ask you, does that include animals? Sure it does. What do fish want? Fish want water, don't they? Has God given it to them? Lots of it. You know, a pig is not that interested in water. A pig wants a mire. Isn't that true? And you know what? There's mire for the pigs. You could have a buzzard fly over a perfectly good patch of clover because the buzzard isn't interested in the clover. The buzzard's looking for a rotting carcass somewhere that's dead and decaying. Even in this world of sin, arrangements have been made that every creature, people not excluded, everyone gets what they want. But the question is tonight, what is it that you really want? Every one of us in here tonight can look back in our lives and look at a moment in our lives when we received what we thought, what it was we wanted, And later learned, maybe after a short time or maybe after a long time, that that's not really what we wanted. There was a point in my life, briefly, uh, that I dated a model. I actually thought that this would be the, the pinnacle of social status, to have this beautiful thing on my arm. And uh, the truth is, 
by the way, uh, as you can see, my wife is also very beautiful. I have to be careful here. <laughs> but I want to say that at this point, I, I thought, you know, surely this, this would be every man's envy, every man's desire. You know what I learned? I learned that these exceedingly beautiful women, they don't just want your attention. They want every other man's attention as well. I learned she was not only satisfied with me looking at her. Everywhere we went, public, private, it didn't matter. She wanted to be looked at by everyone. At some point, that becomes a little bit annoying. You know, for many years, uh, when I was in school, I traveled on mission work. I got a chance to see various parts of the world, Africa, South America, Europe, Asia. Um, and, you know, everywhere I went, I had the opportunity to see, you know, these vehicles. You know, different countries, they, different companies offer different types of vehicles. But there was a common, bond, common factor that I saw. It didn't matter how remote the jungles in Africa. It didn't matter how rough the terrain in South America. Even in Cambodia, where roads had potholes so deep, a car could, be, could go entirely into the hole. And from beyond, back of the road, you would not see the roof of the car. But everywhere I went, I saw two vehicles consistently. I saw the Range Rover Defender, a very sturdy, reliable off-road vehicle, and I saw the Toyota Land Cruiser. And you know, for years, as a poor student, I dreamed about the day when I could plunk down enough money to buy myself a Toyota Land Cruiser. About a year and a half ago, I finally bought one, used, by the way. <laughs> and. Uh, I have to tell you, after driving it, it's, it's an impressive vehicle. But with gas prices being what they are, suddenly I realized that what I wanted was not, always, not all that I had imagined it would be. <laughs> Haven't we all looked at life and noticed that there were things that we thought, things that we hoped to, uh, to aspire to attain to, to get, to possess, and when we got them, we soon learned that's not really what we wanted. Do you know what Jeremiah says? Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, Jeremiah said, Oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. Friends, I want you to know, there are things that we may think we want that will only bring disappointment and sorrow and heartache. Now, sometimes in life, God tests the depth of our desire. I want to be clear. God is not just, you know, dumping everything that we want whenever we want. If you keep reading, uh, Psalms also lets us know that thou givest, they gather. In other words, these creatures, even people, what God gives, there is an effort involved in attaining it or, or acquiring it. Even animals have to search for food. I'm reminded of the story of a young 13-year-old boy in the United States. He was the sturdy son, one of five children of some sturdy pioneers in the Midwest. And one day as he was walking home from school, he skinned his left knee. Now for a strong boy, that doesn't seem like much. But when he woke up the next morning, he noticed that it was hurting still. He ignored it. He went to school. He did his chores. Everything was... He did all that he could. But two mornings later, the leg had started to swell so badly 
that now he had trouble walking. And finally, at the end of that day, at night, when he wanted to take his boot off, it was so swollen, they had to cut the boot off. So his mother, doing what she knew, she bathed his wound with some poultices, and she called for the country doctor. Dr. Conklin came, and as he looked at the wound and as he looked at this leg, his experienced eye caused him to purse his lips in worry. He could see that the boy was going to have to lose his leg. And so the doctor said to his mother, so we're going to have to cut it off. And the boy overheard the conversation between the mother and the doctor. And he said, what? And the doctor said, we're going to have to amputate your leg, son. Now, for a young boy growing up on the frontier of America at that time, it would have been very difficult to live with just one leg. He was shaken and he was so scared. He said, Doc, not me. You can't cut my leg off. The mother was visibly shaken by this exchange and she left the room. And as the doctor and the mother left, the young boy called to his older brother, Ed. And he said, Ed, I want you to make me a promise. Ed, I want you to promise me that if I lose my mind, if I go crazy because of the fever, if I go out of my head, I want you to promise me that you will not let them cut my leg off. So the doctor began to take his equipment out of his bag and began to prepare for what was the inevitable. But his older brother Ed came and he crossed his arms and he stood in front of the doctor. And he said, doctor, I, I can't let you do it. The doctor tried to reason with that. He said, Ed, you're going to be sorry because the longer we wait the more we'll have to cut off. But Ed simply said, Doctor, that may be so, but I gave him my word, and nothing will change that. Two days later, they found Ed. He had stayed up for 48 hours guarding that door. And this fever of this young boy got so bad, so terrible, the leg continued to swell. It now looked horrible in color. And it looked as though now, not only would the boy lose his leg, but he would probably lose his life. The father and mother, being Christians, they did the only thing that they knew to do, and they began to pray. They began to pray nonstop for that young boy. And not long after, Dr. Conklin came in, several days later, as he came in, as he looked at the boy, he noticed that the fever had gone down. The boy was sleeping, 
In Dr. Conklin's eye noticed that there was evidence of healing in the boy's leg. Three weeks later, this pale and visibly weak boy, he stood on both of his legs. And that's how the 34th president of the United States kept both of his legs. You see, friends, sometimes in life, there are things that we want, but some people do not have the willingness to grit through the pain and the suffering it takes to attain to those things that God wants to give us. I want to be very clear. I want to share a little bit about myself. For the last eight years, I've been working as an evangelist for a ministry in the United States. But my story is not a simple one. You see, after I became a Christian, the first impulse that I had as a student in college, the first impulse that I had is that I wanted to be a preacher. I wanted to be a soul winner. I wanted to be an evangelist. But if you knew me back in those days in college, if you knew me, you would have laughed at even the thought that someday I would be sitting, standing in front of people preaching to them about the gospel of Jesus. You see, you have to understand that as a, high, as a student, perhaps of all the subjects, which I found fairly easy in school, of all the subjects which I took, the one which I dreaded the most, the one which caused fear, the one which caused anxiety and worry at night, the one subject was speech. You know, it was so bad. I remember in high school giving, giving these, these speeches in front of the class, and it was so terrible that my fellow students, they wouldn't even look up from the desk. Have you ever seen a, a spectacle of suffering so bad that you don't even want to view it? That was me. And I'm sharing this because after giving my life to Jesus, the only thing that I wanted was something which seemed so far out of my reach that I knew that if I was to receive it, it must be a gift. I have to say that the road to becoming a, a, a preacher, an evangelist, is not an easy one for me. You see, in school, I began to be part of a singing group. And our singing group was unique in that not only did we sing, but it was customary that in every concert, without fail, somewhere in the middle of the concert, one person would always give a short homily a 10 to 15 minute sermon. And as I began in the choir, I noticed that these people that did this, you know, were able to elevate the status of our choir by their ability of, of being able to preach and speak with power and with conviction. And one day as the program for our choir was being passed around, with dread I noticed that the 15-minute homily was now assigned to me. And I'm not going to try to sugarcoat what those early experiences were like. They were failures utterly and totally. 
It's one thing to fail on your own. It's another thing to represent a group of 20 people and fail for them as well. And let me tell you, let me tell you, in those first experiences, after some of those sermons, which were so short, but nonetheless so terrifying and so difficult, I just wanted to crawl into a hole somewhere and disappear. That's how bad it was. But for some reason, some strange, unknown reason, irrespective of how tragic, how horrible these events were, it seemed a cyclical pattern that almost at some point it was every concert I was being assigned to do this 10 to 15 minute sermon. And I remember one day I had been on a mission trip and I was in China and I was alone. It was my birthday. I wasn't alone. I was with others, but uh, nobody else knew it was my birthday. And uh, I was just 17 years old at the time, and I was pretty lonely, homesick. I had been away for almost a month. And I remember sitting in my room. There was no one around me. As I looked up at the night sky, I said, God, today is my birthday. Nobody knows it's my birthday. And I said, Lord, of all the things that I could possibly want, of all the things that could possibly be given. I said, Lord, I would like to be given the gift of speech. And I remember distinctly, after praying, that nothing changed. It seemed as though God had not heard. But as the years went on, I stayed with this choir for not one year, but two years. And they started getting a little better. And slowly but surely, I set out the small steps to accomplish what I believed God would give me. After graduating from school, I immediately applied to a ministry called Amazing Facts. And... I was young, I was inexperienced, but I marched into that office. I asked for an interview with the vice president. He was courteous enough to even give me some time. I, I later learned that they had boxes of applications that went unread. But I had taken this seven-hour drive from L.A. and I had driven up to Sacramento. I knocked at the door. Vice president was willing to see me and he said, what would you like? And I said, I would like to apply for the position of an evangelist. And he started asking me a few questions. He said, well, how many evangelistic meetings have you done? And I had to be honest. I said, none. And then he said, well, he said, are you married? I said, no. He said, have you had any pastoral experience? And I said, of course, no. And maybe he was laughing at me behind those calm eyes. <laughs> But he finally said, you know, right now, we don't have any openings, but maybe you want to get some evangelism experience under your belt. What could I do? I needed a job. So I took the first thing that came. I became a teacher. And uh, I can't even begin to tell you the difficulties that that posed me as well. But as I began to teach, I gained some experience. And I saved up my paychecks, and every paycheck that I 
saved up. I, I saved up enough money for a ticket. And I would actually find places around the world, uh, you know, Eastern Europe, Asia. I would just find anywhere. If you were willing to listen, I would fly myself over there and I would preach. And slowly but surely, one, two, three, four, five, six, I began to get the meetings under my belt. Some of these meetings, if you want to call them that, uh, I, was, I was fighting, you know, bugs from the fluorescent lamp right above my podium that were just dropping into my mouth and onto the podium and just amazingly difficult challenges. But it didn't matter. You see, when you really want something, when you want something that's worth your time, if you really want it, sometimes I believe God tests our metal. And He puts us through these experiences because He wants us, He wants to refine our desire. He wants to purify our motive. And I remember through those experiences, it didn't matter, it didn't matter to me where they were, how daunting the task. I went to countries that that had, you know, Buddhism as their national religion. And I, it didn't matter to me. I just wanted to get the experience. I wanted to win souls. And finally, after amassing more of these meetings, I had finished about two more years of uh, teaching and then another five at another institution. And after, uh, so I, well, I should back up. After two years of teaching, I applied again. I went to one of these schools like Peace, and I thought, now, you know, I have the tools. I had some experience. And so I went right back, same vice president. I said, you know, I've, I've uh, had a little bit of training now. I'm wondering if there's any positions open. He looked at me. I think he was laughing underneath those commas. <laughs> but he said, sorry, I, we don't have any openings right now. So I went back to teaching another five years. And I met my lovely wife. Keala is here today. And uh, we got married. I moved to Hawaii. And while we were there, my wife was working. I was actually studying. And I had a small job. And an opportunity opened up in what seemed like would be a bigger job. And while this bigger opportunity opened, I had applied, shortly before I was married, I had applied a third time to Amazing Facts. My mother, when I told my mother, she said, why do you keep applying? She said, don't you have any pride? <laughs> and, and the truth was that I, I didn't. <laughs> but I applied a third time. You know, as this opportunity opened up to work at this bigger job there in Hawaii, it, was, it would pay well. My wife was working. We had a place that was provided for us. And I began to think of the possibilities that could be. And by the way, as you know, Hawaii is very beautiful. I mean, and so, you know, all of these things were there. And at this junction in my life, at this moment in my life, I received a phone call from the Office of Amazing Facts. It was a different vice president this time. Praise God. <laughs> and he called and he said, look, we're not offering you a job, but we're offering you an internship. It's one year long, and your employment is not guaranteed at the end of that one year. But if you have this one year and you do well, 
we might hire you. Now you have to know, this is, this is from inspi- inspiration. Ellen White says, if someone thinks they're called to the ministry, give them one year. If there is no fruit, tell them to look somewhere else. So I talk with my wife. And I praise God for my wife. Because she had a good job. It provided us with a place to stay. And she actually said to me, she said, look, said, if you think that God is calling you to do this, she said, I'll go. So we sold everything. And really, that in itself was a miracle because we had such a short deadline. And we had to sell some significant things. I had a truck. We had all of our wedding presents there. And we literally left all of that. Because what they were asking us to do was to do six meetings, no salary. They were asking us to fund ourselves to these various places. And uh, for one year, we would be doing evangelistic work with a careful examination to see if we were employee-worthy. In other words, if there was proof of a calling. And by the way, you should know, my wife was pregnant at the time. And unlike this great country that has a nationalized healthcare system, in America, if you don't have healthcare, you are really stuck. But my wife said, look, if you think that's what God wants you to do, I'll go. And so we went. Uh, everything we had fit into a little sedan. Everything we had. And I remember those first meetings. I'd, as I look back, I'm horrified at the things that I did. I had no idea. Even all of my years of overseas evangelism did not prepare me for the reality, the harsh reality of first world Western secular society evangelism. But for some strange, odd reason, we always had fruit at the end of our series. And I know, and friends, I want you to know, it wasn't me. The Bible says that God is the Lord of the harvest. Amen? He decides who gets harvested. But I'll never forget those first meetings and every, every meeting. It was like living, like walking on eggshells for one year. You know, like if we do well, if we get high. Everything was if, if, if. And I will never forget after that one year being on the phone with two of the administrators at Amazing Facts and hearing them say, welcome to our ministry. Friends, there are times in life when we want something, but it's not that God just gives it to us. What is it that you want? What is, it, what is your ambition? What is your goal? What does success mean to you? And if it's something truly worthy, do you have the metal? Do you have the persistence Can you be humble enough to despise the the possibilities of failure and scorn to persevere with what it is that you really want? In Matthew chapter 20, in verse uh, verse 20 and 21, Jesus also spoke to some of his disciples and their mother,
The Bible says, Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? In other words, what do you want? And she said unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on the left in thy kingdom. Now, friends, please note to this audacious request, Jesus did not say no. Did you notice that? He did not say no. Instead, the Bible records Jesus answered and said, You know not what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they say unto him, We are able. Now, friends, I don't know if you realize this. You may think that Jesus never granted their request. You might think that he forgot about it. Not so. Now, remember, the sons of Zebedee were who? James and John. And many years later, many years later, when John was on the Isle of Patmos, as an older, a much older man, Jesus appeared to him in vision. And Jesus said to John, he said, John, to him that overcometh will I grant to do what? To sit with me in my throne. Jesus didn't forget. After all of those years, to that perhaps proud, ambitious request, Jesus did not forget. He said, John, is that what you want? If you want it, I'll give it to you. But there's a condition. You have to be willing to overcome. Friend, I can go all through the Bible. I can go through Scripture and show you example after example of people that got what they wanted. What did Jacob want? He wanted the birthright. And he was so desirous of it that he was even willing to cheat to get it. Poor Jacob. Had he only trusted God, he could have avoided a, a life of hardship. You see, sometimes, friends, when we cheat, when we don't do it God's way, it takes longer to get what we want. Amen? Moses, what did he want? We talked about Moses this morning. Moses, after 40 years, he wanted to deliver the people of God. It was evident by his actions. But God said, Moses, is that what you want? Is that what you really want? Moses, if that's what you want, I'm going to get you ready to do it. And he sent Moses for 40 years into the wilderness of Midian. And friends, had Mo Moses' desire been any less earnest, perhaps he would have escaped that grueling education there in solitude and in silence there in the wilderness. But Moses wanted it so bad that he was willing to endure 40 years. Make no mistake, friends. Finally, after all those years, Moses got what he wanted. Amen? Peace. Graduates of 2012. What is it that you really want? And perhaps some of you right now don't even know what it is that you really want. You know, Ellen White said to some, uh, she had some counsel to some workers in a sanitarium there in the United States. She said, that place is a refining pot to help you develop and understand what it is that, it, what it is that you really want. 
You know, sometimes God doesn't give us what we want, but sometimes he puts us in places where we experience what it is that we don't want and what it is that we do want. Some of you are single. Perhaps at some point in the future you will meet someone. And maybe it's not the person, but through meeting that person and maybe perhaps getting to know them, you will soon recognize what it is that you do not want. Does that make sense? Friends, what does success mean to you? What is it if God came to you tonight and like Solomon said, Sister, brother, child, sir, ma'am, what is it that you want? I hope that you will ask for the best things that God can offer. May God help us, not only today, but especially for our futures. May God bless you.